Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together podcast. I'm your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo. And today we have with us Dr. Matt Ayers. He is the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. And before that, he was actually the uh, president of Emmaus University in Haiti. He is a professor of Old Testament, and he has recently written a book about the Holy Spirit. I mean, what better topic? I can't think of one. I mean, Matt, we're so excited to have you here discussing your new book with us. Yeah, thank you guys. Glad to be here. So Matt, tell us where what what this book's obviously about the Holy Spirit, but I'm sure there's some other books out there about the Holy Spirit. What made you decide to write a book about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so I was a few years ago, uh, maybe almost uh, seven years ago or so, I'm going to guess there, I was invited to preach uh, on Pentecost Sunday at a United Methodist Church in the state of Delaware. Wonderful church, great pastor. And um, and so he said, you know, I'm a missionary, right, at the time. And I was sort of on what we call deputation or furlough, home for the summer, doing the preaching circuit and visiting the churches that support us financially and all those sorts of things. And he said, hey, you're going to be in town. Uh, we preach on Pentecost Sunday and preach on the Holy Spirit. I thought, great. So I just started doing the exegesis of the text in preparation for the sermon, your standard sermon prep sort of stuff that you learn in seminary. And I've been doing for years and um, with all my, even my preaching responsibility in Haiti. And uh, and so I just put together, you know, that sermon on the story of Pentecost and kind of pulled out the principle of, asked the question, why was it on this Jewish festival of Pentecost that God ordained to pour out the Holy Spirit? And as I unpack that and the relationship between the law in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New, right? So the celebration of Pentecost is the commemoration of the giving of the law at Sinai. And so why did God choose to give the Holy Spirit on the same day in the Old Testament that he gave the law? Well, that's because they have very, very similar functions in revealing sin and revealing God and his, his, his moral character and revealing the people of God to the world. There's all these parallels, right? And I'm preaching on this. To me, that's just like the very common, you know, Holy Spirit 101 out of the Bible stuff. Sermons over and countless people came up to me and said, I've never heard anything like that before about the Holy Spirit relationship to the law. And this kind of surprised me because it's just your standard stuff. And um, and again, that's not to implicate, you know, church leadership or anything. It just for whatever reason, they hadn't heard it. And I thought, well, I wonder if there's something here for a book. But certainly my first assumption, when there's another book out there that already does this, right? Uh, something that's ecumenical, that is accessible to various traditions, uh, that's not, you know, uniquely, let's say, holiness Pentecostal or uniquely cessationist. That is people who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but a sort of standard biblical balanced introduction to the Holy Spirit. Uh, that lay people or the average Christian can read. And I started looking and I couldn't find it. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe I'm not looking in the right places. I found all these great academic books on the Holy Spirit, right? Thomas Oden and uh, many, many others. And um, and I thought, huh, 
I don't know that there's a book out there that I'd go, yeah, this is the one that's for you to answer some of your questions if you want to go deeper. And so I kind of tucked that away in the back of my mind. And um, and over time, as I'm visiting churches in America, but also doing ministry in Haiti, I've realized um, that there are like these little gaps and holes and deficiencies in the way people think about the gospel and the way that people think about God and think about the role of the Holy Spirit or even their own spirituality and their relationship to sin, right? The Christian—I strongly believe the Bible teaches Christianity is not just a, a sin management program until Jesus comes back, that we can be free from the guilt and power of sinning. And I, I realized that many of these uh, deficiencies, or, or let's say gaps in people's theology, grew right out of a deficient pneumatology, that is, understanding of the Holy Spirit, in the classical, you know, traditional sense of, of Holy Spirit stuff, out of scripture and tradition of the of the historic church. And so I thought, man, I wonder if some of these issues could be addressed if I revisited this idea of writing a book. And so um, I just started putting pen to paper and uh, went through various, you know, uh, versions and drafts and it's come to be what it is today. So that's that's the short version of the story. And what what's your hope um, with this book for the reader? Yeah, um, there's 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 several, but I think the number one uh, hope is that people would understand that what Jesus accomplishes in the cross as a preparation for the fulfillment of God's promises of his presence to be with us always uh, provides for us the Holy Spirit in our lives, which gives us freedom, not just from the guilt of sin, but also the power of sinning. That we, as Christians, it's not the average Christian life to stay enslaved to sin uh, because the Holy Spirit uh, is present with us and communicates to us, gifts us his holy love, the same love that he has for our enemies and the same divine love that he has for the Father and the Son. He shares that love with us. It's not a human love. It's a holy divine love. And in the same way that Christ can say to us, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And he can say that because he imputes to us his perfect righteousness. His righteousness is better than the Pharisees. And because we receive his righteousness as a gift, we can fulfill that promise or he can fulfill that promise in us. Well, likewise, he can say in Matthew 5, be perfect in love as the Father in heaven is perfect, not because of our human love, but because the Holy Spirit gives us his love and shares his love with us, not because of something human, but divine. And so that's the main goal is to help people leave the infertile ground of what I call mediocre Christianity of enslavement to sin and to live into the full promises of the New Testament to live free from the power of sinning by understanding how the Holy Spirit applies the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. I love that, Matt. And it's interesting, though, because I think the average Christian would say, well, I'm a Christian, so I have the Holy Spirit. And there's that head knowledge of it. Yet um, a lot of Christians look a lot more like the world than like Christ. Um, and honestly, there are a lot of days that I feel like, man, I look a lot more like the world than I do like Christ. But how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? I mean, the Holy Spirit could just poof, make us perfect. I mean, God could do whatever God wanted, but there's this sin thing. And I mean, how do we move from sin management to really being set free in Christ? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's a complex question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First, I would say by means of grace through faith, right? So um, any human cooperation, we're not Pelagian, right? We don't believe that we can save ourselves or that we can contribute to our salvation. Uh, but there is a sense of human cooperation with the work of the Spirit, um, especially with regard to, I'm going to get a little bit technical here, but I, I draw a, a distinction between what God does for us versus in us versus through us, right? Those key difference in prepositions. The things that God does for us, he just does. He forgives our sins. He uh, births us anew, regeneration, new birth, being born again, initial sanctification that comes simultaneously with new, that's simultaneously with the new birth. That's what God does for us. But then there's this the gradual sanctification that God does in us with our participation. And it's not out of our own strength, but we've been enabled by grace, and we call that prevenient grace, right, to participate with him. I'm a full believer in you know, the full depra- total depravity of humanity. There's nothing, again, that we can contribute to our salvation, save ourselves, but we can cooperate with him because there's enough grace made available to us because of Christ's saving work that we can do that. So first of all, by grace, we're not earning salvation or adding to salvation as we participate with the Holy Spirit. And then, um, you know, if there's an important distinction to be made, and again, this is a little bit technical, but I, I do work really hard to explain it in a way that's accessible in the book, um, that when we experience regeneration, which is at the heart of Christian conversion, right? The new birth. Becoming a Christian isn't just being uh, convicted of sin, but it's being born again, right? And not just having our sins forgiven, but uh, the Holy Spirit birthing us new holy passions and desires. There were God becomes our number one desire, uh, love of God, love of neighbor. Um, That when that happens, when we undergo that new birth, we get all of the Holy Spirit, right? We get all of him. He doesn't just give give himself to us in measure. However, um, there's a growth process where he gradually takes over more and more of us, mm-hmm. right? Where we participate with him and there could be residual sin. Sin likes to hide. It likes to stay hidden. And the Holy Spirit, through conviction, life circumstances, through our obedience to his call and ministry, works of grace, means of grace are what I'm talking about here. Bible study, listening to sermons, serving the poor. He identifies or brings to light, just like the law does in the Old Testament, sins that we didn't know were there. Not just sins that we're committing, things that we are doing that we ought not, maybe things that we're not doing that we ought, but also aspects of our inner twistedness that we call the sin condition, right? As we walk with him in intimacy and grow in maturity, he's constantly as a gentleman does, he puts his finger on these things. We call that conviction, right? And then as he identifies sin, illuminates sin, then he empowers us to overcome those sin. I don't believe the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and say, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that, and then not empower us to overcome it, right? right. Or right. Yeah, so uh, I think that's the process of what we call gradual sanctification. That as we're walking with him, growing in intimacy, as we experience the fullness of the Spirit, he gets. we don't get more of him, rather he gets more and more of us. And of course, if we're Wesleyan, we believe to, we get to the point of crisis of entire consecration that we've realized by his help and by grace, I've been holding things back. And I, and, but I'm ready to let it all go. And at that moment of Christ, that's what we'd call entire sanctification, right? In the Wesleyan tradition, some people would just call it full consecration, and that's fine. I don't care about the semantics of it as much. Um, so, but then there's one more aspect that I am not an expert in. Dallas Willard is the expert in. It's like the nuts and bolts and a bit of the philosophy and psychology of how actual spiritual formation occurs. Um, and for that, I recommend um, Renovation of the Heart, of course, uh, Dallas Willard's book. 
Um, so theologically, though, that's how I would say it works. You know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it freaks some people out. And so some of the folks that have more of a cerebral understanding of the Holy Spirit as a third person of the Trinity, and then maybe from a Wesleyan Arminian standpoint um, about being filled with God's love, right? And, right, and right. And when our hearts are filled with God's love, then there's not going to be room for sin. Um, so you have kind of that position where I, I understand it. It's about love, but it's not about the gifts. And then on the other side of the tracks you have it's all about the gifts you know where it's holy spirit catnip i'm gonna go chasing after <laughs> yeah you know tornado chaser chasing after the holy spirit but then it's not a reflection about love and and that kind of that sanctifying work and the fruit of the and spirit. the fruits of the spirit that are evident um that should be evident and so um do you make do you kind of make mention of, of of some of those things in regards to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would, I would add to it. You say, uh, I, I think there's a sort of allergy uh -huh. to, especially among Protestant evangelicals, uh, mm -hmm. but even mainstream Protestantism. Mm -hmm. um, I can't speak for Roman Catholicism. I don't just have enough exposure um, to that, to that part of Christianity per se, but um, there's an allergy because of the abuses of charismaticism in the church. And so we go, you know what, tongues, let's just stay away from it. I believe it's possible. Some people would say, I, I believe that gift has ceased, right? Healing, that what they call the sign gifts, which, by the way, I deal with in the book. Uh, again, a, a very superficial dealing with it, but the distinction between cessationism, sign gifts have ended, which are words of prophecy, words of discernment, um, tongues, and healing. Um uh, versus continuationism, which believes all those gifts are still operative and at work in the church today. Uh, but in any case, I think there's an allergy because of very uh, on display public abuses within certain branches of the Christendom tree, you know, uh, with regard to charismaticism or what you call charismania, right? Um, so I think that there's an aversion there to begin with. However, um, I think so. I always want to stay, I want to emphasize what the scriptures emphasize. Um, and I want to emphasize, I want to stand in the broader streams of the great tradition that is Christianity. And I want to emphasize what the church fathers emphasized. And um, I want to see how God has worked throughout history and make sure that we have a complete understanding of the Holy Spirit informed by scripture, uh, but that make sure we're putting the right emphasis on the right syllable. Because if we don't, it, it's not quite in harmony with the way that it's intended to be as far as uh, the church's full expression of you know, the reality of the Holy Spirit and animating worship and our breathing our life of Christ in us, all those sorts of things. That being said, I find I'm of the opinion uh, that in Scripture, the emphasis of the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, is to make Jesus and the kingdom of God real in the word, in the world, excuse me, to mediate Jesus's presence to us so that the world can see Jesus. The question is, how does he do that? Well, he makes Christians look like Jesus. He conforms us to the image of Jesus. And the emphasis of, of the likeness of Jesus is not as much on supernatural sign gifts, although those are there. They're there. I'm not saying they're not there, but the emphasis doesn't fall there. The emphasis rather falls on righteousness, defined as love for God and love for one another. Jesus says very plainly, the world will know you by this. You love one another. 
and you're united together in love. It doesn't say the world will know you because you speak foreign tongues. And again, I'm fine with tongues. I don't have an issue with that, right? It's a matter of where the emphasis falls. And I think the emphasis is on holy love and righteousness. And I think that's the primary work that the Holy Spirit applies in our lives is to make us look like Christ in complete and utter devotion to God worked out in love and inspired by love in obedience and love for one another. And as I write in the book, as inspired and informed by namely Paul, Paul's our main person in the New Testament that gives us information for the Holy Spirit through Paul on, on gifts of the Spirit. The purpose of those gifts is to build up the church and to advance the kingdom of God. And of course, Paul himself puts the emphasis on love in 1 Corinthians 13. The most of all, the most important is love. If you have not us, the rest is a clanging symbol, noise, and annoying. And so the gifts are important. They're there. They're there to build up the church. Um, but uh, love is where the emphasis falls. That That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it seems like... Um with when people see more of the abuses or manipulation of the Holy spirit, then they say, Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with um, anything labeled Holy. Like you said, it's an allergy. And um, I, I kind of made up this term. It's a, we're living in an age of neo-gnosticism as well, where some of these quote unquote gurus have special knowledge and power. That's not even based in scripture. um, But it's it's almost spiritual malpractice and um whether you know just kind of it, it, it's just far-fetched ways of um tapping into god and having a special knowledge and power that nobody else can um yeah yeah and i would say too that like there's a problem if you walk into a church and the primary symbol that you see is the dove you need mm. to see Je- you need to see jesus wow. jesus must be the and here's the reason for this The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, not himself. He is self-effacing. All three persons of the Trinity are self-effacing. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus into the world through the conception, immaculate conception of Mary, right? And the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus through believers. And so any spirit, Holy Spirit or another spirit, Holy Spirit obviously in a category by himself is a divine person, but any spirit that is promoting the Holy Spirit over Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always promotes Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He doesn't want to be seen. Jesus is the portrait of God. He is the profile of God, the exact nature, the very imprint of God the Father. And if we picture him, imagine him as a portrait, think Eastern Orthodox icon, the Holy Spirit is the spotlight on the portrait. You don't notice the spotlight. What you notice is the portrait. So when we talk, I I was really careful in the book, but tempted. I was careful Mm -hmm. not to say things like, you know, the Holy Spirit is the neglected member of the Trinity, or he's the one that doesn't get any attention because he doesn't want the attention. He wants <laughs> Jesus to get the wow. attention. He wants the love of God and righteousness, the person of Christ to get the attention. So his work is accomplished if there's not more books on the Holy Spirit written by Christians than there are written on Jesus. Mm. I love that. And to the same vein, you know, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, you should be glorifying Christ with your life. Exactly. Yourself. Glorifying yourself. That is not the Holy Spirit at work within you. It's Mm. a different spirit. It's a misleading spirit, a misguiding spirit. That's why you have to get the emphasis right with scripture, right? 
The the other example I use is the road to Emmaus, which we're thinking about this time of year, of course. Um, I know that this will be airing close to around East, between Easter and Pentecost, probably. The men are walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes alongside of them, resurrected Lord. And what are you talking about? They Don't you know what we're talking about? Don't you know what's happened, right? And it says he explained to them how the scriptures spoke about him, beginning with Moses through the prophets, right? Well, so the scriptures are all about Jesus. Who inspired the scriptures? The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the word and the human authors. So the Holy Spirit left with us a historical record that the primary character is Jesus. He didn't say, let me explain to you how what you find is the Holy Spirit from Moses to the prophets. He says, you find Jesus, which tells us the Holy Spirit is always talking about and promoting Jesus. Yeah. That's awesome, Matt. Well, I think folks are perhaps a little more educated on the Holy Spirit, hopefully after listening today, and hopefully a little intrigued to learn more as well. If folks want to get a copy of your book, Matt, where can they find it? Yeah, so you can find the book, uh, your standard bookseller outlets. So uh, this is being published by Seedbed, so you can find it on their website. Uh, But of course, you can find it at Amazon.com as well. Well, thank you, Matt. This has been amazing. And um, I look forward to reading the book and possibly use it as a resource uh, for our church and passing along to others. And uh, you just seem to be able to speak very articulate, but also plainly as well, like someone like I myself can understand. So <laughs> thank you. Thank and the you. book is it is written uh, with the, it's got study questions at the end. It's very good for small group settings. If your small group wants to go through a study on the Holy Spirit that's balanced yet deeply biblical, it's a great resource for that. But it can be read on its own as well. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, if you're listening to this and you feel like you want to grow more in God's love and not only understand the Holy Spirit and the role of being sanctified and growing in holiness, we want to just challenge you to pick up the book, but also share this podcast with a friend, neighbor, coworker, or someone you go along to church with. In the meantime, remember, we are better together. God bless.